open, outspoken, it's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Blake Williamson. I'm Gary Wirtz. Hello, and thank you for listening to a new season of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. In this first episode, Drs. Blake Williamson and Gary Wirtz discuss the theme of the podcast this year, which will focus on horror stories, where they discuss tough, complicated surgical cases and how they were managed. Thank you for listening. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Okay, everybody, it's 2024. We are in for a new year, new season, uh, new life into ophthalmology off the grid. Uh, I'm here with uh, my, my dear friend, Gary. Gary, uh, we had a great season last year. We, we really yes. kind of were laser focused on business and brand, and I thought it went great. What did you think about last season? Yeah, no, I, I, I thought it was amazing because, you know, it was, again, we got to ask the questions from the people that we felt were experts in a specific area that I think we both wanted to grow in. And so the thing that's been so fascinating and beneficial for me throughout this whole podcast has been, you know, when I have a question, I usually pick up the phone and call somebody, but in this format, you know, we can talk to people and it's not just us getting the lesson. Everyone gets a lesson. We get to sit at the feet of the masters and, and really just listen. So selfishly i learned so much last year and i loved it and um we're switching gears though you know last year was very content focused on one topic this year a little more nebulous so um you want to introduce our our our, uh season theme for 2024 blake yeah i mean i I think that we should just to be transparent you know gary and i think about you know what's going to be the the theme for next season we had five six seven ideas all of which were good Maybe there'll be other seasons of off the grid, but whenever we kind of mentioned this one, we were kind of like, oh, you know what? That's it. It, it, Because it's just so, um, it it just resonates with everyone, right? Like, frankly, if you're a younger ophthalmologist or you're, let's say you're in med school, building your business and brand and speaking to someone who's got 10 clinics all, all over the place may not really like pertain to you, right? But like anyone who's a surgeon who listens to this podcast, I think is going to benefit um, you know, from this season's theme, which is all about war stories, right? That's right. That's um, right. You know, what's the what's the worst, you know, um, a situation that you feel like you've been in, either surgically or pro-surgical, whether it's one of your toughest outcomes? How did you navigate that with grace? How did you keep the patient the center um, and, and take care of them and, and do all you can to to get them through it? Um, what was your mental state going through those complications? And, you know, what did you do to, you know, oftentimes we we have these obscure once in a career type, um, you know, you know, complications through no fault of our own. We're doing everything right. by the letter right. of the law or everything we're supposed to do. But but it's surgery, surgery. There's no such thing as zero percent risk. And, and and all of a sudden you become experts learning about um, this obscure uh, 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 sort of reaction or complication to a surgical procedure so yeah. that's what the, that's what that's what that's what i take the season to be about gary what do you think yeah. is that about it 
Yeah. I mean, honestly, sometimes people ask me like, why do you go to so many meetings? You must really love education. And it's, and obviously we love hearing about new technologies and learning from our colleagues, you know, and seeing interesting cases. But a lot of my time I spend either talking about things that have recently happened, complications or weird patients or things that I just need to get off my chest or listening to surgeons who are doing the same thing. You know, in our world, you know, we don't have a lot of people probably in our uh, immediate neighborhood or at the pool or, you know, at the golf course or wherever who really understand what it's like to be a refractive cataract surgeon or an ophthalmologist or even a, a surgeon in general. And so I really feel it's very uh, cathartic and it's also a, a better, cheaper form of therapy <laughs> to yeah. talk through the things that are going, that you're dealing with and uh, just sort of get them out of your mind. And that way, you know, I always have a meeting feeling better and it's because of the company of the people I I'm, I'm with. And also, you know, we sort of unload things. So this is going to be like online therapy. You know, it's going to be, you're going to be hearing us talk about our, our, our battle wounds that we've gotten through the years of doing this. And, you know, if you don't want to have any complications, you can't be a surgeon. So we're going to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and uh, you know, how we navigate uh, that in real time and uh, in the real world. So um, Blake, where do you want to start? Do you want to start? You want me to tell you, I, I have, I have a, something I found as I was cleaning out some boxes from things I saved from residency, I'm gonna, I'm actually going to show this to you. People won't be able to see this, but this is actually uh, as res as residents, we had to keep a log of our complications, and this was from basically September of twenty uh, two thousand five. It was my very first uh, cataract complication. Uh, and it was really one of the worst days of my life. It wasn't nothing crazy. We, you know, I dropped a lens and, um, ended up getting, you know, calling retina and, you know, came and, and they, you know, took out the nucleus and did a vitrectomy and the patient was fine. But to me, it was my third cataract I had ever done. And it was a moment of, I'm not sure I can actually do this. I'm not sure I'm going to be good at this. I thought I was going to be really, really good at this immediately, like day one. And it was a real gut punch for me to realize, oh, I'm skating on the razor's edge the whole time I'm in the eye. This is going to be a whole different ball of wax than what I thought it was going to be. And so, you know, I've kept this over the years. And this is just more like a, a, a break, a break off point for us to talk about other cases, but I've kept this over the years because it's not the complication. It's actually the next case. It's getting back in the OR and being willing to move forward, knowing that you're imperfect, knowing that, you know, these things happen. And despite the anxiety of what could be, you have to move through it and get back on the horse. So I thought that's just sort of like a, it encompasses a lot of things in life when you have a rough case you know, sometimes you have a complication, you've got 20 more cases that day, you've got to put on, you know, put on your big boy pants, walk back in and give that patient your best. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And maybe just, uh, we can talk about some other cases. Yeah, I mean, yeah, my ears perked up, you know, listening to you, because obviously I can, I know exactly what it was like to be in those shoes. And I love how you remember, it was like, literally your third case, you remember, you remember when it was. And so, yeah. You know, that, that's the, that's the challenge, you know, as a surgeon is like, 
when you have an outcome like that, man, it sticks with you. And even at this stage, like I know I'm a very good surgeon, but I also know that my next case can be a total disaster despite right. all of my experience and, and despite really wanting you know, nothing but the best for my patient. Always, you can have those challenges, and it sticks with you. You carry it home with you. You know, my wife. You know, Nicole knows. You know, if uh, if there was a tough case, uh, you know, it's just hard to hide it. You know, and um, and this is this is that's what's great about this season is that like when you're sitting around, you know, the dinner table at a meeting, you know, there's a few topics that people, everybody at the table wants to hear or when a story starts to get talked about, they listen up. Yeah. Tough complications is one of them. You know what I mean? It's like, that's why, that's why I think this is going to be a good season. So, yeah, I mean, I I think it's great. And like you said, um, it's not even about it. it, it, Well, it is very much about like, if you have a complication, you got to get in there and do the next case. But like, even in clinic, let's say, like, let's say it's not a disaster of a complication, but let's say that you, you just have a patient that, you know, God only knows what they went through that day, but you just have a really rude patient who's, you know, complaining bitterly about not much and, 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 or, or even if you do have a, a, an issue or a complication, you know, you have to go into the next room because the patient in the next room, they, that has nothing to do with them. And so if you come in dejected and sad or, or even worse, frustrated, um, they feel that. And, uh, and that's going to be their impression of you. So, so, you know, the sports analogies are always big in my family. And so it's just like the quarterback that throws the interception, like you got to go to the next play. So it's very much like that mentality of, of the next play. You got to immediately forget about what you just did. Yeah. And also there's a whole secondary and tertiary aspect of how your mood is that I have only recently come to realize. Um, yeah, I've heard this from other people. My partner has definitely taught me this. Um, we've talked about it in, in, in different contexts, but you know, the patients are how you are, right? And so when you talk to a patient about a complication, there's different ways to frame it. And obviously you want to be honest. Disclosure is, I would tell everybody, full disclosure. If, the, if something happens during a surgery and uh, there's a complication, it is way better for everybody to just, you know, go ahead and tell them what happened. But there, there are different ways to do it. You know, when I was a resident or early in practice, uh, I was very, very nervous and neurotic about any complication. I would walk into the post-op area and I'd be like, uh, let's, let's get your family in here. Uh, you know, uh, Mrs. Jones, you know, we had, um, you know, it's called a vitreous loss. You know, we, we tore the capsule, the capsule, you know, vitreous started coming forward and you know, I can't put the lens in. I, I started doing a vitrectomy, but I'm not very good at vitrectomy. And, you know, but I mean, like, I think you'll be okay. <laughs> you know, I start... You start on this, you know, just I'm obviously like, you know, exaggerating a little bit, but, you know, if you tell a patient, you know, we had, we did your surgery uh, during the surgery, you know, the, the posterior capsule, you know, b- became opened, um, you know, it's something that can happen. We're able to clean it up, you know, put the lens in or, or whatever. Um, or sometimes you say, you know, we couldn't get all the cataract out. Some of the cataract is in the back part of the eye. And that's something that we're going to send you to our friends get taken care of. You should have a great outcome, just a little bump in the road. Um, not to minimize it, but you know, patients need your reassurance if there's a complication. And so, you know, there's different ways to tell patients the information in a way that allows them to be able to deal with it and be positive and, and be reassured. And so, and in addition to that, you know, your staff, when you have a bump in the road, 
they're all bracing for impact for the rest of the day. They're all bracing for, oh no, is he going to be in a bad mood? Is he going to be frustrated? So putting on your brave face, not only for your patients, but also taking a deep breath, maybe even taking a few minutes in your office before you go back and do that next case. Be like, okay, I got to be my best self for my patients, for my staff. They, you know, they don't want me <laughs> taking this out on them. You know, we all need to have a good day and go home. But, you know, how do you deal with that stress, Blake? Yeah, I mean, I think that... um I think that one of the, another great thing about this season is going to be those conversations you're talking about. We're going to hear from people and we're going to ask them exactly what do you say? Like, what do you have any go-to words and phrases? Probably a lot of it will be around breaking bags and vitreous loss and stuff like that. But I think that, I think that, you know, what you're going to hear, at least in my experience is patients just want to know that you have a plan. That's yeah. it. And so I will, will routinely say, you know, here's what I like about your case. We got this cataract out uh, I'm really happy with that. Here's what I thought was challenging is that you didn't really have the right type of architecture to put a lens inside the bag there. I don't think it would have been stable long term. So I just really wanted to be conservative and stable with you. And so I put a lens right there in the sulcus. You know, th those are kinds of the things that, that, that I like to say. Or if you have a lens that falls straight to the back, it's like, well, thank God, you know, we found this out now, uh, you know, versus doing your surgery, you know, 10, 15 years from now. Uh, because you're younger and you're healthier and we have the ability to have the retina specialist come back in. It was very clear to me that we weren't going to get a lens uh, you know, in, in, in this eye. We're going to have to do it differently. So it's all about how you frame it, always being honest, of course, first and foremost, but letting them know what the next steps are. Um, right. But it'd be fun to kind of hear people this season. If it's okay, I want to I share with you kind of my uh, yeah. war story. This is kind of part of the you know, impetus of the whole season. I was kind of sharing with Gary something I had going on. And now, so you know, I've been losing sleep over a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, and and, and right. it's funny. I'm better now. And, and and you said earlier this season you're gonna hear the good, bad, and the ugly. It's most gonna be the bad and the ugly. But <laughs> what I like is that with ophthalmology, almost always you get back to the good. Almost always, if you do everything right, if you're honest, transparent, thoughtful, caring, compassionate, if you seek advice, if you are vigilant with doing everything you can to help the patient. Um, it, even in, a, in a, an unfortunate scenario where there's litigation and stuff, almost always it turns out okay because your heart was in the right place, your mind was in the right place. Um, anyway, that, that's kind of what we had here. This is a this is a patient who's only, gosh, you know, not even a month out. So this is about a month or so ago, um, three weeks ago. Um, uh, I did bilateral uh, ICL uh, Evo ICL in this patient. He was a late twenties male who was like minus eighteen with some sill in one eye and minus sixteen in the other. Had some refractive amblyopia in the minus eighteen eye. Incidentally, I'd done ICLs on his sister and his father, so he was the third member of this family. He traveled, you know, two and a half hours to come see me for this. Of course, he saw his family do great, and he was expecting to do great. And the surgery was challenging for me because he did not dilate well and. It was fine. I got the ICLs in place, but yeah, I had to do a lot of excessive iris manipulation to try to get those foot plates underneath that iris. It was not, uh, you know, totally straightforward procedure, but you know, we we got it in. It was fine, and the vaults were good postoperatively. That four-hour pressure check, and of course, day one post-op, patient was you know twenty twenty-ish in the minus sixteen eye, and like twenty forty, twenty fifty-ish in the minus eighteen eye which I thought may have some refractive amblyopia, maybe need a bioptics procedure, which the patient was aware of, but everything was cruising nicely. What's great, that? 
Great result. Great life- result. Yeah. Yeah. Life changing. He was very pleased, obviously. Um, good vaults, good pressure. Everything's good. Well, I, I go to Mexico uh, with my family uh, for a vacation, and I'm on the flight back in midair. And my OD texts me. He's like, hey, man, that ICL, it's like post-op day four now. Um, he called, and he said he, he lost his vision. He wasn't seeing very well. So I went ahead and had him come into the office. Thank God. It was like a holiday, and my OD went in and saw Christmas him on break. a holiday. Christmas break. Yeah, basically. always. Yeah, always see the patient, and he did. And he's like, you know, Dr. Blake, this this kind of looks like endophthalmitis in both eyes. And I was like, and I'm I'm in the air over Mexico texting, you know, with the Wi-Fi, um, which is spotty. And I'm like, what exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, like what, you know, surely not. Because to my knowledge, just I'd never heard of someone having bilateral endophthalmitis, you know. And uh, he's like, nah. He's like, you know, there's a hypopion, his count fingers vision, et cetera. Uh, he wisely, my optometrist, who's so awesome, Josh Davidson, he uh, he he wisely um, uh, called his uh, MD backup, uh, Dr. Clayton Patrick, and also um, our retina specialist, and all of them came in uh, to see this patient. Uh, which again, I was so proud of my team that, that they could offer this care. You know, Christmas break, off day, like on a Sunday type of thing. Um, and the retina specialist is like, man, walks like a duck, talks like a duck. There's a hypopion. There's like this fibrinous material, pupillary membrane. Yeah, the eye is not hot and the eye is not red and, and, and it's not painful, but obviously we got to treat this with an optimitis. So they did, they went ahead, did a, a vitreous tap. They did a vank and septaz injection uh, in the vitreous, started the patient on Q1 hour fortifies. We keep some of the infamous uh, compounded fortified antibiotics. So we did that. We had that, luckily we had access to that, um, but also started steroids uh, Q2 hours as well. Because right. my whole thing was like, this could be TAS or, you know, that was the other thing I'm worried about. Is this a sterile hypopion? Because frankly, I, I've just, I, you know, most people you talk to have never had a single unilateral, you know, ICL endophthalmitis, bacterial endophthalmitis, and nobody that I've ever heard of has had a bilateral. So, so I said, any, I just, rheumatologic, I just, any rheumatologic conditions that you could think of, you know, no, like no, Bichette's afterwards, or... no, nothing weird like that. Um, you know, and so the whole time I'm thinking this must be sterile. And I went, I, I saw the patient, you know, that evening myself when I got back home in the States. Um, and of course bought him every single day. And, um, you know, luckily fairly quickly, his vision started to improve, but it was like the whole time I'm like, is that because he had the, the, the intravitreal injections or is that because of the steroids that he's on? Um, the gram stain, you know, and everything kind of started to come back negative. The, the final culture, we did, we did two different ways. We did PCR, you know, as well. And all of that was negative. Um, you know, so there's no, there's no organisms. And so pretty quickly we stopped the, the, the fortifieds and continued with the, uh, Q2 hour steroids and even started a medrol dose pack and he improved quite a bit. The hypopion was gone, you know, after a couple of days. Um, and now he's got a little bit of mild vitritis. His, his vision is back to like 2030 minus two ish. You know, he's right. quite functional. He actually bought me a king cake, uh, <laughs> from Dong Fong bakery. Uh, don't choke on the me. little baby Jesus. Okay. I've yeah. once, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was just amazing over the span of like six days. I went, I couldn't sleep that night, you know, after I saw him, um, of course I'm on the phone with Zaldivar and Greg and like, you know, all the, the volume ICL people. 
And I'm like, have you ever seen this? And like Scott Barnes, who's amazing. And Star is amazing. Star is such a wonderful company. And this is such a wonderful lens. Um, and they were so helpful. And, and no one really believed it. But it was like, do I take it out? You know, because it's a foreign right. body in the eye. So that was one right. big thing. It's like, do I need to explant this? Right. But like I, I did some research. I talked to Jack Parker as well. I had a similar case that he's published on. And he, he left it in. Most people leave it in. And the patients end up doing well. And I'm so glad I did. Um, because it was never bacterial, it was all inflammatory, and and I think that ultimately, because of my excessive iris manipulation, I just caused a really dense, you know, iritis, and the patient wasn't on enough steroids. We just do the infamous twice a day, you know, maybe it just yeah. wasn't enough steroids, and that it kind of snowballed from there. Um, but had I removed the lens, I mean, it wasn't easy getting in. It wasn't going to be any easier getting it out, right? So I would have. Then what do you do? More. Then what do you right. do? Put it back in? Right. right. So I was just like, I was just, you know, I said, you know what, we're going to leave it in and go for it. And thank God it worked out. But yeah, it was just hard to sleep for those couple of days thinking that I was going to be the first reported bilateral endophthalmitis case of Evo ICL. Um, right. You know, right. so that, that was my horrible story. Ended up great. Um, I had to do like, I had like, I had like six ICLs the next day. Of course, all of them went good. Like the other 99.9% of them do. Right. Uh, but you have to get back in the ring, you know, but it was, yeah, that's my war story. And that's what made me want to kind of, you know, do this season with you. Right. What was your thought process? Like, you know, you have this text in the air, you're sort of like going back, you can't do anything. You're feeling helpless on the plane. And you're also, I imagine we're very similar to the way we like to take care of people. You want to be on the ground. You want to be at the slit lamp. You want to be talking to the patient and your hands are tied. You have to basically you know, have your team take care of them, which they're happy to do. I know they are. Mine would be as well. But there's just a difference of like wanting to be there, wanting to manage it yourself and feeling kind of like trapped. Like how, what was going, like, what was your mindset at that point? Well, my immediate mindset was this is not that bilateral enoptomitis because that's never been shown before. What this more likely is, is something, an infiltrate that could be sterile or even a task situation. But right. then I was going through my decision moment, my, my sort of algorithm, like, well, no, I mean, you know, TAS is usually kind of sort of next day, and the right. eye is red and hot and painful, and you know, and that wasn't the case. And more than likely, they'd be they're not the only one, right? I did forty one eyes that day, and this was the only patient that had any problems. So I was like, nobody else had not any TAS. issues. TAS you know, is not TAS, in right? Groups usually, usually, so, right? So, so. Yeah. But that, that was my initial thought. I was like, I'm in the air in Mexico, and I'm trying to text my my uh, director of nursing, like, hey, we, uh, call every single patient from that day, and like, we need to like swab everything in the OR, and like, you know, thinking it was a TAS outbreak, which it was right. not. It, it was right. just this one patient. Man, I, I'm, uh, I, I, that's that level of stress. It's and it's always some something always happens when you leave. It seems like you know, it's like you always like when you're at a conference, like when your phone rings, you get that text. It's like, you almost don't want to look down. It's like when you're not around to handle something, that's when lightning strikes. It just seems like that happens that way. Um, well, yeah. I'm glad I will. I agree with you about star, uh, their level of support. Um, if there's ever an issue that you have, um, they, they spare no expense. They will give you access to Scott Barnes or, or Roger Zaldivar or, you know, Greg Parkhurst, who's another fantastic surgeon, um, John Vukic, others. I mean, they have a great team. So folks who are looking to get involved, you know, yes, obviously things can happen with any surgery, any technology, but it's nice to know you've got a team that's going to support you and stand behind their product. Um, so I, I totally agree with that. 
Um, if, I think we have time maybe for one more story. This is this is someone. Unless you have anything else to say about that, I mean, I I'm just so happy that there's a resolution to this because yeah. those are the things that you know will stick with you if you feel like you've actually you know something's kind of irreversible. But you're right. If you stick with the plan, you know, the eye can be forgiving if it's you know if you if you follow a logical methodology. Yeah, and if you if you act, you can't wait around. Like yeah, there's no like seeing it tomorrow or yeah. maybe we'll try this. We'll see how this goes. It's like. No, you need to act swiftly and make decisive moments and, yeah. and take it to the hoop, as dad always says, you know, don't right. just dribble around, you know. That's right. Hope is not a strategy. No. <laughs> so uh, this case I was thinking of sharing is one from probably, I'm going to say five or six years ago. Um, this patient was referred to me by uh, the retina group in town. And it's always like a great honor when you get a referral from a retina group, but it's always comes with like a little bit of weirdness, right? Um, because they've they kind of choose who they want to send their you know their their patients to. I think I must have made them mad because they send me uh, the really really tough ones. But um, this patient came and she had um, bilateral um, or sorry she had she had um, really dense amblyopia in one eye, and she had really super dense cataract like four plus. Not necessarily like phacomorphic glaucoma, but like this was an absolute rock. And the other eye was like more like a two to three plus NS, definitely ready to come out, but not, nowhere near the density of the other eye. So they're like, you know, go ahead, you know, take care of her. I'm not, I don't remember exactly what they were treating her for. Uh, I don't know if she had had a buckle in that eye, but it was very long. It was like a 30 millimeter eye or something along those lines. So she was like a minus 20 in the eye that she had amblyopia in. The other eye was like pretty much pretty normal. So that eye had always just been densely amblyopic, never really done. She'd never really seen with it much. Um, so anyways, we take the cataract out and, you know, she ends up being like 2080 uh, uncorrected. I ended up putting a minus lens in her. I put like a minus five lens in her or something along those lines. Um, and I was like, that's like way better than anyone had thought that she would be able to see. Do the other eye and she's like 2020. So she is, I'm thinking like, and, and this is always the case when you think you've done something like heroic and you're sort of ready for the, the pat on the back. And instead of that, it's like they've got a knife in their hand and they like want to murder you. And so, you know, it just, it, you know, we, we got word back that, you know, at her post-op exams that she's just not happy at all. She can't drive. She's having all these weird symptoms. She's seeing double, um, just a horrible situation for her. She feels like, you know, she would rather not have that eye. She has to wear a patch over the eye to be able to do anything. She's dizzy. She's like, you know, and 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 we're really scratching our heads on this. Like, she was know, blind before. You're you're, you're thinking you were. Like she was. You were abs yeah. legitimately blind, and now you're not. Yes. And now, but you're upset. I don't get it. Yes, you know? exactly. So she's like seeing better than she ever seen before, and and honestly, I was probably a little bit perturbed about it. I was just kind of like, you know, all I've t all I can tell you is you know, do what you have to do. If you have to patch your eye or, you know, put tape over your glasses or whatever, but I don't really know what else to do for you. I sent her to pediatric ophthalmology, like strabismus doctors. They didn't really have much. She actually ended up going to Wilmer 
and seeing, um, I think it was Dr. Repka. He's a pediatric strabismus uh, doc um, at Wilmer and um, wasn't really, you know, there wasn't really a whole lot of um, options that were, that were really given because this is a really weird situation. Um, so she comes back to me uh, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to spend some time really digging into this. Something weird is going on. I've never seen this before, but I'm going to like, I'm going to really try and figure this out. And I started coming up with the idea that maybe she had this thing called horror fusionis. Um, horror fusionis obviously has horror in the name, not something you want. Um, but basically, um, you know, it's a condition where there is just the brain has no ability to fuse binocular vision. Someone who's de densely amblyopic, they just never got their brain never was able to figure out fusion. And so if a patient has that, they usually have such dense amblyopia that it really probably doesn't end up causing any problems, uh, which is she just suppressed it before. The, the image was so blurry because she had like a minus 20 prescription. She just wore a single contact lens. She was good to go. Like it, it just, it was so blurry. It was never a problem. But when we corrected the image enough, that is when she started getting the diplopia. And so I started thinking about this and I thought we need to reverse her and basically make that image as blurry as it was when she was an adult. And so I started trying plus contact lenses on her. Um, we started with like a plus five that didn't do it. We went to a plus 10 that didn't do it. We went all the way up to a plus 20. Okay. And we, that did it. Once we got to a plus 20 soft contact lens, it resolved her symptoms. So then I had to have the conversation with her. I said, you know, we're going to have to exchange this lens. We're actually going to get rid of the vision that we've given you to be able to blur the eye to the extent that you're happy. Is that what you want? And she's like, absolutely. That is, that is a hundred percent. So this is like, this took when did you do that? I mean, it was just like a month later, three months later, six oh, months this is later, like, like a year and a half later. Okay. Cause I was going to say like, you'd want to give it her a lot of time to like, yes. gosh, you don't want to make someone worse for God's sakes. Exactly. So I'm going to put to her, her light perception. I'm going to take her from 2080 to like light perception. Right. Or maybe count, maybe like hand motion, probably right. Hand motion. She'll be able to see a hand in front of her face. That's it. She's like, absolutely. This is life-changing with this contact lens. If you can do it, I want it done. So I'm like, I mean, what do you do in that situation, right? I mean, you're taking care of the patient, right? You're not necessarily trying to. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess her, her, her point is like, I'm not, like your, your thought is, I would be making your vision in this eye worse. And I took a pledge not to do that. But her point is, I'm not using this eye anyway. It's actually uh, and, making and, me worse. And, it, and it's making my overall life way worse. Yes. So make my life better. And I still won't be using the eye either way. You know, Correct. that's what she's telling Correct. you. Yeah. Correct. And so that's when sometimes things that don't really make sense on paper, but when you're there and you're doing the analysis, this made perfect sense. Because what I wanted for her was to be able to use the good eye and to be able to suppress the bad eye and not have the, the eye that she, you know, is amblyopic interfering, causing diplopia and preventing her from seeing her grandkids and driving, driving at night, all these things. Like she's 
and she's very smart. You know, sometimes our patients, you know, you know, not, you know, there's, there's a range. Okay. She's very intelligent. She's articulate. She can tell me specifically um, what's going on. And, you know, so I really trusted what she was telling me. And when we got to the point where, you know, she's like, yeah, this works. This is exactly what I want. I did the exchange. I exchanged her for like a 20 dot. I went from like a minus five to like a plus 17 uh, or 20 diopter lens. Happiest. One of the, one of the most life-changing surgeries I've ever done was actually to reverse a refractive procedure to make someone see worse. That's crazy. That's and so crazy. Happy as a clam going able to drive able to do all the things she wants to do but just such a weird this isn't necessarily a war story and maybe it is i mean no it is yeah a, it it was like so hard for me to figure out like what was wrong what to do and like is it right to do it but yeah. you know it worked out but yeah i, I well, well before before you get even get there like you at the very beginning when you're hearing about this patient you have to get over your own and your team's own like tendency Offend, to be like, offended. come on, man. Like, yeah. dude, like we, you were blind. Now are you really complaining? And then you have to get over like the, are they kook? Are they crazy? Or, or, or this is this for real? Right. And then you have to actually like develop some real empathy um, for this. And then you have to actually get engaged to where you actually put your mind into it. Like, okay. I'm going to figure right. this out. And bottom line is, is whenever you decide that you're going to figure something out, almost always you do, you know? Well, we've got good, it's not just me. I mean, I, I, I contacted people all around the country. I ran this by like a bunch of different people. Like, Hey, is this, am I crazy here? Is this, and now that's the other thing I want to say about, you know, and we've said this over and over about, about ophthalmologists and our friends is like, you know, there are so many people who are willing to take a phone call like look at any KOL, any speaker that you want, like from Dick Lindstrom, Eric Donenfeld, Steve Slade, you know, any, any, anyone, you know, Kerry uh, Solomon, this Warren Hill, any of these guys, you, you call them, they will take your call. Like, the, and then not even now, I mean, just other people, you know, that you might want to talk to, I'll just encourage people, you know, we're all in this together. And that is, there is a great camaraderie among surgeons. And when you have a problem, you know, just know you're not, you're not alone. Uh, I think that's one thing I want people this season to realize, you know, let's say you had a bad day and you had some complications, you know, you're not alone. You're not the only person who's gone through that and find someone to talk to because it is a much, you feel a lot better when you realize, okay, I'm not the only one who's ever broken a, a bag. I'm not the only one who ever dropped a lens as a resident and thought to my thought to themselves, like, man, I'm not sure I can really do this, you know, reach out and, and life is better when you, when you share your problems, because, you know, you've got more people to help you carry it. Totally. Yep. I think, so. uh, I think it's going to be a good season, buddy. I think, uh, I can't wait to, to hear from the guests, all their war stories and, and how they took the, the bad and the ugly into the good all over. Yeah, now. absolutely. And you know, if you're listening and you've got a good war story or something that you learned through a, through, let's say through experience, we'll say, you know, hit us up on Twitter. You can hit me at, uh, at cataract MD Blake. You're at Blake Willie. Is that correct? Yep. yep. Uh, or, uh, or on Instagram, just Williamson Lasik on Instagram. Yeah. And, and I'm Gary dot on Instagram. So, 
uh, send us a message. If you've got a, if you've got a story you'd like to share, we'll see if we can accommodate you. We, we're going to have a bunch of guests and I think this is going to be uh, a season to remember. So from Blake and myself, thanks for listening. We love you all. It's been a joy to do this and uh, hopefully we'll grow together this season until next time. Thanks for listening to the first episode of a new season of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Tune in to future episodes to hear more horror stories from top ophthalmic surgeons. Until next time.